The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Joshua chapter number one, preparing for wonders. Got the first half of the message last Sunday morning, and today we're going to go ahead and finish up on God's people getting ready to cross over to the promised land. Uh, I tell you, the Word of God is, is, is so uh, rich for God's people if we'll just take the, take the time to ask God to apply it personally to our heart and our mind. Um, as a pastor, I get nervous about Saturday night sometimes because, you know, the truth is we can get so preoccupied uh, with so many things and not get rest and, and stay up and, and do all kinds of things that really we're not spiritually prepared uh, to hear what the Spirit saith. And so as we come together this morning, my prayer is just that not only would your pastor be able to preach as God would have me to preach, but that we would have opened ears, that we would listen carefully to God's truth today, and that when we leave this place, we'll leave blessed and uh, receiving all that God has for us. So Joshua chapter number one, just by review, if you have your uh, insert there in the bulletin, you're going to find the notes. Uh, the first three points are from last week, and then we're going on into new material here uh, this morning. But we saw three truths last Sunday together from this first chapter of Joshua 1. And the three truths are simply that God has made a promise. And we, we saw preparing for wonders, preparing for God's people to go into the promised land to receive really all the best that God has for them, that the foundation was a marvelous promise that God has made. I hope you look for promises as you read through the Scripture. Uh, there are so many that God gives to His children, and all that God would just fill our heart with wonder at a God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or that we could think. Uh, God's looking for a people of great faith. He's, he's looking here for churches today that would just believe that God is a big God. And uh, here this morning we're going to get a little sense of that as Joshua is really preparing the people to cross over. So God's promise we saw had to do with Joshua's own feet and Joshua's faith. We saw that in verse number 3. Every place that the sole of your foot, uh, foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. So his promise had to do with a foot and his faith. Uh, you, you've heard of uh, uh, putting feet to your faith? Well, that's exactly uh, where the concept comes from here in Joshua chapter number 1. The land was before them. Everything that God wanted to do, he had promised time and time again. And now it was up to God's people not to stagger at the promises of God, but just simply to obey God and say, we believe you. Remember 40 years before when their ancestors had that opportunity at Kadesh Barnea? Uh, they sent 12 spies out in the land, and they came back, and instead of seeing a big God, they saw big giants. And uh, for the most part, 10 of them at least uh, saw themselves as grasshoppers. Uh, they saw that God uh, and their God was not as powerful as these giants were. And so as we go into uh, this text, we have that as a backdrop. 
uh, a failure 40 years before. They, they refused to go any further, and God said, I'm going to have you wandering there in the wilderness for the next 40 years. God said, for 40 days you saw my bounty, but you didn't see me. You saw the enemy. Uh, you saw the obstacles, but you didn't see me. I prepared place for you, and yet your eye was in the wrong place. And so we begin with God's promise. Then we went on to God's presence. Aren't you glad that when God gives us an assignment as a church or as an individual Christian, and we start stepping out by faith, uh, that uh, God not only makes some wonderful promises, but he's also with us, his presence. And that's what we find in verse 5. Look at it. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. We saw that he was, first of all, their champion. I will not fail thee. And we saw that he was their companion, nor forsake thee. I'm glad I have God as my champion. I'm glad that he is my companion. And if you're saved today, he is yours as well. See, the Holy Spirit came to abide in your life. And John 14 and 16 speaks about that precious ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. And he'll never, never leave us. We have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, residing within every believer. And so we're never alone. Jesus there in the Great Commission spoke about how I'm sending you out in the world, but I'm going to be with you uh, everywhere that you go. And so the promises rest there firmly for us as God's people. His presence is sure. And then number three, I want us to see his provision also in Joshua chapter 1. We saw two things. Number one, God provided his word, the law. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not but depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The only time you're going to find the word success in the Bible is Joshua 1.8. And it has to do with the word of God and what you and I do with the word of God. So the provision is his word to guide. It's our compass. You know, Crown Point Baptist Church is not wandering here uh, through ministry life without the guidebook. If you want to know something about Crown Point Baptist Church, I want you to put your eyes upon the word of God because we're simply desiring to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in this place and we're desiring for his word to be that final authority. In, in all matters of both faith and our practice. And, you know, when God gives us direction, then we need to just obey and follow the Lord. So that's his provision, not only the law, but also we saw the land, that he would provide for them space. He would provide for them a country. And God led them into Canaan land. Now, there's seven uh, uh, kingdoms uh, that are represented here in Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 10. You're going to see the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Havites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. These seven nations were really the obstacle that was before them. And yet, 
Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I'm so glad this morning, by way of introduction, that we have God's promise, we have his presence, and we have his provision. We have everything that we need. And we just need to march forward by faith. So let's focus this morning on our next thought here, God's power. And I need you to go to Joshua chapter 3. We looked at this just a little bit last Sunday, Joshua chapter number 3. Let me bring you right up to speed. What's taking place is God's people now, they are encamped right there at the Jordan River. Matter of fact, for three days they're going to camp there. Uh, A couple spies are going to be sent out by Joshua there uh, to uh, not look at the land per se, but just to go to Jericho and uh, and, uh, bring a report back to uh, General Joshua. And so these two spies go, and and really the next chapter is all about here, these spies and what they're going to be doing there uh, in the promised land. But when we think of God's power, God has to get millions of God's people from the west side of Jordan, I'm sorry, from the east side of Jordan to the west side of Jordan. And uh, the Bible tells us that it was during the flood stages of the harvest uh, when uh, all the banks of the Jordan River uh, were running over. From a human perspective, it was impossible. From, from just a, a, the human standpoint, you look at it and you say, how is God going to be able to do that? And aren't you glad that you have an all-powerful, almighty God and there is nothing too hard for Him? And we just have to come to a place where we actually believe that that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's nothing too hard in my family right now that is uh, really an obstacle, a difficulty, a problem that is too big for your God. There's nothing here in your relationships. There's nothing here uh, at the workplace that you're struggling here with a boss or a coworker. Let me tell you something, that you've got a big God this morning and that our God has all power. And so letter A this morning, let's just look at a declaration of God's power. Here in Joshua uh, chapter number 3, I I want you to note, I'm sorry, go back to chapter number 2. Joshua chapter number 2, these two spies are uh, gone into Jericho. Uh, They are providentially led here to Rahab the harlot. And uh, Rahab is going to give us a testimony of what God has been doing in the land prior to them arriving. Now, this is pretty astounding to me. Uh, I've seen, you know, the little stories, and I've heard preachers preach about the walls of Jericho coming down. And, you know, the typical illustration is, here are God's people. They're going to be marching around this city, and the people on the walls, oh, they're just doubled over, hysterically laughing, mocking, pointing a finger, and saying, oh, you feeble Jews. That's nowhere in the text. You don't see any of that in the Scripture. You don't see one person in Jericho up there uh, blaspheming God. There's not one person that the Scripture says is, is rebuking the people that are about to march around that city. Not one. Why? Because they're absolutely terrified. They're absolutely terrified. Why are they terrified? Because of something that happened 40 years before. Look at the text. Joshua chapter number 2. What does the scripture say in verse number 8? And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. She's hiding them uh, there from the mayor of, uh, of Jericho. And she's 
shares her heart. She starts giving to those two spies uh, a testimony. All right, look at verse number 9. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. All right, that doesn't sound to me like a group of people that are mocking and ridiculing and, and telling jokes up on the wall, uh, uh, especially when they just saw Jordan River split wide open and saw millions of God's people cross over. How would you feel if you were a resident of Jericho? I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty terrified. Uh, I, uh, I, I don't care what kind of a man of war you were, when you saw and you heard what this God has done in the past and what this God is about to do, I tell you what, it's going to sober you up just a little bit. Uh, I mean, seeing the hand of God. So the scripture goes on in verse 10, and this is what Rahab confesses. She says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. Think about that for just a moment. They didn't do anything. God did it all. By the way, God provided their salvation. God made a way of escape out of Egypt. God brought them there to the Red Sea where they were harnessed in the wilderness, nowhere to go, can't go to the right, can't go to the left. Pharaoh's coming behind them. And, and the only recourse was to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God's going to do something wonderful. God's going to do something amazing. We just have to believe God. And God split wide open the Red Sea. And God's people went over, the Bible says, on dry ground. Forty years, the pagans and the heathen all across this land have been in terrified of that God and those people that followed that God. So here the scripture just tells us here, we heard of uh, how he dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. Now, uh, this is a really... Uh, some renowned kings and kingdoms that were absolutely destroyed by God's people. And so they're thinking our only protection is that Jordan River. The only thing that keeps them on that side and us on this side is that Jordan River. Uh, we're over here, they're over there. We want them to stay there. And yet we see the power of God on display. There's a declaration of God's power by uh, this Gentile woman, Rahab, who will come uh, to faith and trust in uh, uh, the God of Israel as her God. And by faith, her family gathered together in her house. And by faith, ultimately, when the walls came down, Rahab and her entire family would be saved. And the symbol was that scarlet cord that was hung out the window. What a marvelous picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did uh, for us. What a wonderful demonstration here of God's mercy and grace on the least deserving because we're all sinners and we're all in need of a Savior. So the declaration of God's power, let her be a desire for God's power. Go now here to Joshua chapter number 3. 
we fast forward a little bit. The, the spies, okay, they went to Jericho. And now in chapter number 3, we see Joshua's trying to prepare the heart of the people. And the word of God tells us now in verse 5, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Preparing for wonders. Why, why don't we expect God to do the unexpected in our lives? Why don't we expect God to show up? Why do we have obstacles in our life that seem to be so huge that we don't even pray about it? Oh, that God's people today would just have eyes open again to how almighty your God is. And I'd like for you to walk out of this place this morning rejoicing the fact that I serve a big God. And He is able. And there is nothing too hard for God. And so the desire of Joshua here was for God's power. And in order for that to happen, there needed to be a sanctifying of themselves. They had to uh, just allow God to do a deep work in their life, preparing their heart for what God wanted to do in the area of wonders. I tell you, we're learning a little bit about forgiveness in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We're learning about what Christ provided for us when he died for us on the Calvary's cross and, and what a blessed thing it is to be forgiven. What a wonderful thing it is that Jesus shed his blood so that we could know the forgiveness of sins not, not because of our righteousness, but because of his perfect sacrifice. And it's a joy to be able to study passages like that. And, and, and here, as we recognize, yes, the awesome power of God, God is looking for a prepared people to do these wonders. I can't do the wonders. God has to do the wonders, but sometimes God's hand is shortened. Why? Because iniquity, Isaiah the prophet tells us. Your sin has separated you from God. It's not that God can't do it, but God chooses not to do it. Because God is looking here for a people who are willing to just be honest with God and confess. Get their hearts right with Him. And then believe in what he is able to do. There's a declaration of God's power. There's a desire for God's power. And then we see there's a demonstration of God's power. Now here's the scenario. Joshua says, now priests, you've got to lead us. You're going to take the Ark of the Covenant and you're going to go before the people of God. And I'm going to tell you something. As soon as the sole of your feet reach the Jordan River, God's going to do what only God can do. So lead us. And there's going to be a space between you and the people. And the priests, they don't argue. The priests, they don't have a, 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 a little uh, conference, you know. And are, are we sure this is going to work? But you see, their heart is set to obey. And they lead. And that Ark of the Covenant goes before them. And there's nothing that happens with that River Jordan. And you know the text as well as I do. Until the Bible says that the sole of their feet. Look at verse 13. And it shall come to pass. As soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the Ark of the Lord. The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan. That the waters 
of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. What happened? Just like Joshua, he was, he was encouraged. Listen, wherever the sole of your foot finds itself in faith, I'm going to give you that. And now it's up to the priest to step out by faith. I tell you what, God rejoices in churches that learn to step out by faith. Uh, matter of fact, Hebrews tells us very clearly here concerning faith. Without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. How, how can we be the people of faith? How can we be an illustration to a lost world of faith when we as God's people stagger at the promises of God? That's what's so amazing about Abraham in Romans chapter number 4. He staggered not. He believed God. God called him out of Ur, the Chaldees. And God said, listen, you just follow me. I'm going to lead you to a land and, you know, just trust me on this one. And he did. And God raised up a mighty nation. And God used that man, Abram, and his wife, Sarah. And what a blessing here that this great family now that's come out of Egypt, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, are now finally... At, at, at the doorstep of the great promises of God. And God came through. God demonstrated his great power. Verse number 18. I'm sorry, verse, uh, let's see. Let me read down here just a little bit. Verse 15. And as they that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth, all his banks, all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city, Adam. A demonstration of God's power. Can I tell you, the church today needs to continue to see God and God's hand. I hope you're praying for that all the time. God, would you show yourself mighty on our behalf again? Let's never, get, let, let's never let the blessings of God become routine in our life. Let's never get to the place where we as God's people just, uh, oh, ho-hum, God showed up again. But really uh, rejoice in the reality of uh, the, the power of God. That God here demonstrates simply based on what? Faith. Faith. Faith to step out. And then God shows up. God's power declared. God's power here, a desire as they sanctified themselves. God's powers demonstrated. And then I want you to go here to chapter 5. Just skip over 4 for just a moment. Uh, find chapter number 5. And I want to share this with you. And the thought is a dependence on God's power. I'm going to come back to Jericho in just a second, but this is very unique. They're going to cross over into this new land. Jericho's before them. You can just imagine here the millions and millions that are now on the uh, west side of Jordan having crossed over. Jordan split wide open. Now it's come back together. And uh, I'm sure here the king of Jericho and all the people are absolutely terrified as to what's coming their way. And instead of just and just saying, okay, 
Uh, they just saw our, our God on display. They just saw the demonstration of God's power. Let's attack. I read this text and I go, that's not what happens. I, I mean, I would think, what these people, we've got them right where we want them. Let's just move forward. And maybe General Joshua had that thought, but God had another thought. And I need you to follow this along because, you know, there's no accidents when it comes to the Word of God. God puts in His Word exactly what we need to hear. And, and sometimes we're reading through an exciting story like Jericho, and then we come to chapter 5 and we go, well, what was that all about? Follow along. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the other side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in, in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So this would include Jericho, and it would include those seven nations, and they're all petrified, they're all terrified. They know right now, I mean, it's over for us because God's on the march. And then God does this. And you got to think with me a little bit this morning. Why? Why would God pause here to do this? Verse 2. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now, I don't know. I guess um, if I were a, a, a general, as Joshua was, and I was a fighting soldier, and I recognized that we have the enemy right where we want them, they're absolutely terrified, uh, they're quaking in their boots, all of our men of war are here. Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says that just from Reuben and Gad, the half a tribe of Manasseh, 40,000 warriors went over first. I mean, we're ready for battle. We're, we're ready for the fight. And, and these folks are absolutely terrified. There's no strength left. And God says, okay, uh, time here for a little surgery. Uh, you guys that came out of Egypt, you were circumcised, but there's nobody that was circumcised. Uh, that were in the wilderness or born in the wilderness. And then God brings to light here a couple phrases. And, and boy, this week as I read these over and over again, God just worked in my heart a little bit on this phrase, men of war. Men of war. Look at verse 4. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. All right, so those warriors that came out of Egypt that were used, they're all gone. Their carcasses, Hebrews tells us, uh, they, they died there in the wilderness. Carcasses falling in the wilderness. And, and so who's left? It's all those that were 20 and younger. And all those that were born over these 40 years and I had to think a little bit, well, what's the fighting age of a man? What's optimum? All right, it's going to be that 20-year-old, that 30-year-old, right? Uh, you get a 40-year-old and you're kind of, oh, I don't know. And, uh, and uh, not, not that you 40-year-olds are you know, not worthy, but uh, uh, you could just imagine from a, from a standpoint of being a warrior, every one of uh, these 
potential warriors would be put under the knife. The best, the strongest that they had would go through the surgery. Removing here a, 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 a surgically a, a piece of flesh there off, off that uh, individual man that was born those 40 years in the wilderness. And you're saying, what in the world is God thinking? I mean, they're vulnerable. We see that later on or uh, in the past, right, in the story of Jacob and his sons and what they did in, in massacring a whole village because they convinced him, you need to be circumcised like we are. And then you can have our daughter and our daughters to be your wives. And as soon as they circumcised them, they came in with their swords and they slaughtered everybody. You're vulnerable. You're at your weakest. You have no strength. And that's exactly where God's trying to get all of us. It's dependence on God's power. It's not what I can do because I'm all charged up and I just saw the Red Sea, I mean the the Jordan River, uh, open wide like my dad and granddad saw the Red Sea open wide. I mean, I'm ready for the fight. Uh, Let's go get them. And And then Joshua says, well, hang on, boys. Got some surgery that we've got to take care of. The Bible says it's the hill of the foreskin. And all of these men uh, that were born there uh, in their wanderings all uh, submitted themselves to that surgery. And uh, uh, the Bible makes it very clear here that as they did, uh, they were, uh, let's just say, incapacitated for a while. Verse 8, and it came to pass. I'm now in chapter 5, verse 8. And it came to pass... When they had done circumcising all the people that, that uh, they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Till they were whole. I just want you to see something. God wants all the glory all the time. And any time that we can... Oh, any time it becomes us and no longer God, that's when God is displeased. It's always got to be God. It always has to be His power, His strength. It's not a reliance on ourself, spiritually even, in what we can do. We're relying on a great God. And we're desiring to be filled with His Spirit so that He can do the work that only God can do. And God's not looking for strong men. God's looking for weak men. God's looking here for those that realize that it's got to be all of Him. And when we get to that place where our dependence here is on God's power and God's power alone, then God can do the wonders. You want to know why God doesn't do wonders? Is because we're doing too much on our own, in our own power, in our own strength. And the Bible's warned us, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's how God's work gets done. See, Jesus found some of the weakest men that he could possibly find to become the pillars of the church. Yeah, loud mouth like Peter. Always uh, putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, always having a better idea, right? Always uh, just, uh, uh, no, this, th- this is how we ought to do it, not the way you want it to be done. And God could take a Peter and break him and then use him in a marvelous way. The same man that cursed out the Savior prior to his crucifixion as he's warming his hands by the fire and there's girls that are accusing him. Yeah, you're a Galilean. Yeah, you spent time with him. 
Oh, no, not me. And he denied the Lord time and time again that evening and then went out weeping bitterly. And then I go fishing. Oh, I'm just, I, I'm just done. Uh, God has no use for me. I've really blown it spiritually. What would God ever want to do with the likes of someone like me? I'm going back to the old life. I'm going back fishing again. And, and the Lord wanted a special meeting with him after the resurrection. You can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All about the gospel and about the resurrection. And the Bible says first he met with Cephas. That was a one-on-one meeting that Jesus had with Peter to get it all right. And then Peter would be that one that would preach that message where 3,000 would be saved on Pentecost. It's amazing. But whose power was it? It's God's power. Listen, as we, as we go through our week, oh, how we need to rely on God's power and not our power. All right, let's quickly go on. Would you write in God's purpose, number five? I'm just going to read back in chapter 4, the end of the chapter, just a couple verses. Listen, God's power is on display, and God's able to do it, and God's wanting to bring us to a place of dependence. It's going to rest in God, not our power, not our might, but we're going to rest in God, and then here's the reason. Look at verse number 22 of chapter 4. Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. In this passage, two things happen. A memorial is created. Twelve men grab twelve boulders, stones, rocks, put them on their shoulder, and they go to this place called Gilgal. Joshua is going to make his own memorial in the midst of the Jordan. Sometimes when you read the passage, you've got to realize there's two memorials that are being established here. One, Joshua is going to do it where the priest stood in the midst of the Jordan, and he sets up there a memorial. I've always looked at that as one that only God could see. It wasn't for the benefit of the children of the next generations. It was one that God would only see because the waters would have to come back. And so that memorial was set up in honor to a great God that can do absolutely anything. And then we see that these men were to take these 12 stones and carry them off to the place where the Bible says that they would lodge that night. Uh, Go to chapter 4, verse 9. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the Ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished. And uh, we see here that uh, in in this text, they're also taking out uh, 12 stones Um, verse 6, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off. If we go then to chapter 4, the end of the chapter, the Bible says here in verse number 20, And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. 
And so there in Gilgal, they set up that memorial. So two things are going here under God's purpose. Number one, a memorial to remember, and it was for the kids so that they would be reminded of the great hand of God. And one of the reasons that your pastor is so passionate about church planting is because our children need to be raised up in a generation where they can still see God still able to do it. That God's still able to raise up a congregation. That God's still able to provide as only God can provide. And God can build his church because he promised he would. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And oh, our eyes have to be back on the Lord. Our dependence needs to be back on him and his power. And then we have to understand the purpose of it all. The purpose of it all, so that we would remember God and remember what God did. And uh, then look at verse 24 that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. It's to glorify God, it's so that the world would see God's, the true God, and all that God would just. Bury that into our heart, into our mind. I'm just going to give you the last point, God's plan. And really, this is from chapter number 5 on, and I wish I had time to develop here this this morning. But at the end of this time with circumcision, of course, Joshua came out of Egypt. He was already circumcised, so he's not quite in the world of hurt that all these younger guys are. So he's taking some time to survey the city of Jericho. Uh, He goes off by himself. And here at the end of the chapter here, as he's looking and pondering what's our next step, or he's praying to God, asking for God's wisdom, the Bible says here, the chapter number 5, that there's a, uh, a, a, a confrontation, all right? Let me just read here, beginning in verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord... Am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? This is a Christophany. It's an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Here he is, the captain of the host. It's not an angel. Angels don't get worshipped. This is Jesus Christ. And we recognize here that as uh, uh, he is before this captain of the host, uh, he is told, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. And Joshua fell on his face. He loosed, uh, loosed thy shoe from off thy foot for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Real quick, Joshua's contemplation. He's just thinking, God... How are we going to do this? Jericho is straightly shut up. All these seven nations have to be conquered. And he's contemplating, he's thinking about a plan. Now this is all under number six, God's plan. And folks, I just want you to just really get a hold of this. This is not man's plan, this is God's plan. 
He's contemplating. He's concerned as he sees the stranger. And he simply says, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? He's not sure whose who's, who's side that individual is on. And now there's a declaration. This is Joshua's captain. Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. So as he's contemplating and as he sees here uh, a silhouette of someone, uh, he calls out and, and the confession is, no, I'm your captain. I'm your captain. And the captain is the one with the plan and the captain's the one that came to take charge. Now let me just throw this out at you this morning. You know, so many of us as Christians like to keep reign of our own lives. We want to be in control. I'm sure Joshua is no different. And yet in the text here, it's the captain that shows himself, reveals himself, captain of the hosts. And he's not, he, he, he is not there to give a suggestion. He's there to give some orders. Because he just let general here, uh, Joshua, know that, listen, I'm uh, uh, the top general. I'm going to be calling the shots. I've got the plan. I just need you to follow the plan that I'm going to give to you. So from Joshua's captain, we go to Joshua's choice. What does he do? Well, he just surrenders. He realizes that this is God and he needs to be worshipped. And that's exactly what happens in verse number 14. He's got his face to the earth and he's worshipping his captain. That's the choice that he makes. The choice is surrender. You know, the great choice that you had to make when you were lost is that decision that I'm going to receive Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. But you know, now that you're a Christian, there's another choice that you need to make, and that choice is the choice of surrendering to the one that loved me and died for me. That absolute surrender. Coming to the place where we understand that you're not your own, that you've been bought with a price, that you're to glorify God with your body, with your life. And here God is now giving Joshua an opportunity and he chooses to surrender to the captain and surrender to the captain's plan. And, and chapter number 6 with that great uh, victory of the walls coming down are all about a commitment to the plan of God. God was specific. Every day you're to go out. You're to march around one time and then go back to Gilgal. And then you're going to come the second day and you're going to do the same thing and then you're going to go back to Gilgal. And the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day and the sixth day on the seventh day you're going to do it seven times. And then you're going to shout. Now these other times it was in silence. They were not to say a word but now they're to shout and they're to blare the trumpets and uh, the walls came down. The commitment, Joshua's commitment, he was committed to the plan of God. He was committed here to do not what maybe he thought was best, but what does God think is best? You know, as a local church together, I just want you to understand that we're committed to God. And we're committed to God's plan for the local church. Uh, I've been encouraging folks to come for our evening services because in the book of Ephesians, we're going to really get a, a good understanding of how God is wanting to use that body, the local church, for his glory. And there's got to be a commitment here to God's plan, a surrender to God's plan. And then we're going to see Joshua's conquest. 
there will be success as God's plan is executed. Just, just take it out of the realm of our might, our power, our ability. Uh, put it back in the hands of Almighty God and rest in Him and recognize that our job is to worship Him. Our job is to glorify Him. Our job is to open our ears seeking to be obedient to Him. Are you a surrendered Christian this morning? Have you dedicated your life completely to the Lord for His service? Or, or are we still the captain in our own life? I, I told the folks here, you've seen that uh, bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. I don't like that bumper sticker. Because that gives the idea that somehow you're the pilot and He's the co-pilot. I don't like that. God's my co-pilot. Yeah, that's most of Christianity. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on the wheel. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to fly this plane called my life like I want to fly it. And if I need to get up and stretch, I may, I may let God take over. And then when I'm, you know, not real satisfied with what he's doing, then I'll grab the steering wheel again and I'll continue to drive my life. Listen, that's not how God intended it. He intended that we would be committed and surrendered to him. And what we've seen this morning is a story of a surrendered soldier by the name of Joshua and how he desired to prepare for the wonders that only God could do. And I'm telling you, there are some walls in your family life, in your spiritual life, in this church life that can come down. But we need to get our dependence back on him and his power. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.